It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by CNN's early start, Christine Roman, who is here to talk to us about all of these companies that were featured in that giant New York Times piece saying they were in favor of expanding voting rights. This is a pretty counterintuitive moment, Christine. Thank you for being here to explain it all to us. <laughs> you know, for so many years, I've covered companies and they would say when pressed about social issues or injustice or uh, anything that didn't have to do with dollars and cents and profit and loss statements, they would say, we are here to return shareholder value. That is our number one priority is returning shareholder value. That has changed over the past, I would say, decade. Um, it's really same-sex marriage was an early place where we saw companies start to really become more uh, conscious. Uh, you know, I would always call it, you know, corporate consciousness was starting to come into play here because their customers and their employees were demanding it. Now, on voting rights, you have this unbelievable spread of companies and investors and law firms and individual CEOs who are saying, this is about democracy, expanding access to voting to everyone who is, a, who is able to vote, everyone who is a citizen, is good for democracy, and that's good for our business. And so they, without specifying what states they're talking about, they had this broad blanket, we support people voting, and we don't support any state's legislation that tried to limit who can vote and when. And, and I think it was a moment when a lot of us who've covered companies for so long and have always sort of had this knee-jerk reaction that, you know, it's all about the bottom line. These are companies saying, actually, a healthy, pro-democracy America is good for us, our employees, our customers. That's good for the bottom line. That's good for America. It was, it was really quite a moment. That is a moment. I mean, it feels to so, me like it, the, really <laughs> it just takes us out of the sort of partisan frame that we're always in. Do you feel like that the, that's the big adjustment is that these these voter suppression bills, maybe the quantity and sort of the egregious nature of some of the provisions um, has forced corporations hand because there's nothing hidden about sort of the, the, you know, blatantly anti-democratic agenda um, with some of these bills, unlike maybe even past voter suppression laws. Well, you know, it's interesting because these investor relations and public relations departments of these companies are expected to say what the stance is of uh, of the company in the states in which they operate, right? So it's Coca-Cola, it's Delta, it's all these companies specifically who are for, who are, are are based in in Atlanta have been under a lot of scrutiny. Um, now I will point out that some of those companies did not sign on to this. Also, uh, you know, I, what I want to know. So the cynic in me wants to know. What now? It was a beautiful two-page spread that got a lot of attention in the New York Times and Washington Post. A lot of names, bold-faced names. But are they saying we're not going to contribute to politicians who support these laws? Are they saying we're going to move our production out of these places? Is it saying right. you, you risk your business ties to us? You know, what is, this is a don't do this, dot, 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 
but what is the what is the you know what is the threat? So without it, without the threat, we're not sure. It's still, even without the threat of removing business or whatever, or not giving money to politicians, because let's be honest, money is the oxygen of the American political system. If companies are going to keep their money back, that really puts their money where their mouth is, um, but they're not making that threat at least yet. Still, a very, it was a hallmark moment. It got, a lot of us who cover business were surprised by the depth and the breadth of these companies and people who signed this thing. And, you know, we've already seen, for example, in, um, in uh, Georgia, it was Delta Airlines, I think, um, yeah, I'm sure it was Delta Airlines, had said that it was concerned about some of these voting um, voting rules or voting laws that were passing, and then a uh, one chamber of the legislature turned around and tried to revoke its um, tax credits for jet fuel. Now it didn't make it all the way through the House, but you saw retaliation from one chamber hmm. of the. So so by standing up for what Delta thought was right, you saw retaliation from lawmakers um, in Georgia. So I'm sure the government affairs people in all of these businesses are working overtime to try to figure out how they can smooth this over and satisfy both their employees and the public, but also not end up, you know, losing important tax breaks and stuff from some of these states that are passing these restrictive laws. Can, can we assume that they're motivated by a profit and not by altruism? Like, can we assume that their businesses would take a hit from their customer base if they didn't act this way? Or are they just all of a sudden, hey, everyone should be able to vote? You know, it's mm-hmm. interesting because there's so many names on that page that it, 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 and so many different industries, it's hard to tell. I'll just tell you from my interviews with lots of different CEOs of different industries, I have found that many of these corporate leaders in America today are truly, truly capitalists who know how to make money, and they are also more socially progressive in part because they're running huge organizations with lots and lots of different people and they want inclusive workforces and they they're 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 I mean I've really noticed that over the past um past few years. I mean, even, I won't say which CEO this is, but even in talking with one CEO um, before the pandemic and before the election, actually, about his concerns, he was concerned about socialist, <laughs> a socialist becoming president, either Bernie Sanders or Senator Elizabeth Warren. Um, and you would hear him talk about how he didn't want those two candidates, yet he was espousing uh, equal pay and talking about having better workforce for, for men and women and families and how getting, you know, increasing the number of women in the labor force and all, and all this stuff. So I was like, wait, you're kind of talking about the things that, <laughs> that these people are talking about doing, <laughs> but, you don't know, you know, it was, it was sort of interesting, you know, that on the one hand, there's this sort of knee-jerk, we don't like socialism. And then on the other hand, it's like, except you see some trends, you know, paid sick leave is something we don't have in this country. You know, I mean, you, you have these concerns about socialism overtaking America. We don't even have paid sick leave in this country. So, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about that because we haven't even <laughs> taken the first step um, to, to that. And, and, and uh, I just I feel like there is an altruism to a point. I mean, when you're a big, profitable, multi-billion dollar country, company, you can afford to start to become a little altruistic, especially if it makes you more attractive as an employer and to retain your workers um, and, and keep your customers happy. Does that have something to do with the fact that corporations, you know, they do all of the research and, you know, focus on a specific demographic group in terms of age is because I think, I mean, if, if you're marketing only to like baby boomers, I imagine you probably are not joining a statement like this, but I feel like, isn't it it's that 18 to like, you know, 30, I don't know what the exact n- numbers are for the age 
demographic, but like that are most important in terms of uh, the consumer base. I mean, you want to reach out to everybody and you know that the baby boomer generation is the largest generation in history, but there are generations behind it with incredible spending power and incredibly, uh, you know, an educated workforce and uh, consumer base, right, who is expecting more than just a a cute jingle from a company, you know, especially young on climate change in particular, and more, even more than the voting rights on climate change. I see this so much in so much of the research that um, young people expect companies to be good climate citizens. And these companies know it. I mean, that's why so many of the car companies are pursuing, are pursuing uh, EV. It's why, I mean, it's just, it's the way it is. It's interesting on the front page of the Wall Street Journal today, there's a headline that says oil and gas landmen now hunt for wind and sun. Um, there are jobs to secure drilling rights that have shifted to deals, to, you know, to places where they're placing turbines and solar panels. Like even in business, things are changing, and there's even a profit motive for being more conscious of where the trend is. So it's generational, it's profit-driven, it's a little bit of everything. It's it's just it's been a really interesting sea change over the past, I would say, 15 years. Can Can you talk a little bit about the split with the Chamber of Commerce and the corporations, because like Chamber of Commerce, anti-HR1, anti-voting rights stuff, I, I used to think of that as sort of interchangeable with big business in America. And now it feels a little bit like the split that we see between Republican voters and Republican elected officials. Um, is is that real or? I can't speak too much be, on that in particular. But what I, I, I can say more broadly, what I can say is that I have seen the normal um, kind of business and Republican relationships start to splinter a little bit, right? And different allegiances have been changing and shifting. And and I don't know if it's a result of four years of the Trump administration, which sort of broke some of the Republican norms, or exactly what that's about. But it is a really interesting moment where we are. In, in terms of the Biden administration, I'll also say um, – the Biden administration, mostly, by and large, many company chiefs and corporations were fine with the Biden presidency. You know, you heard all this hue and cry from Donald Trump at the end of last year that you would have a depression and you would have a stock market crash and companies would go out of business if Joe Biden were elected. And CEOs are saying, no, we don't think that's true. In fact, we think it's fine over history if you have a Republican, if you have a, if you have a, um, you know, a, a Congress of one party and a president of another party, you know, that can be good for the for the stock market and for business conditions. So they weren't so worried about the Biden presidency. But even now, the only place I can see kind of a rift developing um, in, in all of this is on this idea of, of um, uh, infrastructure and higher tax hikes for companies to pay for infrastructure. You know, right. that's a, there's a rift developing on that that will be fascinating to watch. Do you do you get the sense that you know folks who are paying attention to this issue inside of these corporations are also impacted by just this pandemic year? Yeah. I mean not not just the Trump presidency, but I feel like I mean oh, that I think that probably like set it up. But I feel like um the the pandemic though, it was like it ripped whatever hesitation um was left it just ripped that away i mean and and i think corporations just like everyone else saw some of these flaws within our systems like really really clearly and i think their bottom line um they realized it could be impacted by you know 
their inability to speak out on some of these issues that I mean, because saving the democracy, that's good for the economy. <laughs> because yeah. you don't want, you know, a, a, a government sort of collapsing. Um, no, you're ab- and, I think that's in the economy smart, with it. Such a smart point, because the, it, this is all about unrest. They don't like to see um, these rifts. And, and they recognize that there are reasons why there is unrest. There are reasons why people feel um, as if the economy and American society and American democracy right now is not working for them um, all, all over the place. And they don't want that. You know, your vote is where you can, where you can air your grievances. You, you air it in your vote. You go to the ballot box and you do your job as an American to fix it, to change it the way you want to. And, 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 and everybody does that. Millions and millions of people do that. And the result of that is the direction of America. And they want that access available to people without that access available to people where else do you go when things aren't going your way you know where else do you air your grievances air the grievance through the ballot box and make sure when you have restrictions of the ballot box that just feeds on itself this whole idea that democracy isn't working for everyone so it, it seems like the corporate tax rate is uh, like a, a massive issue for our economy at large, and we cannot do the massive infrastructure plan that, that President Biden is, is rolling out without doing something about corporate yeah. taxes. I have to imagine that the ability to pay no dollars <laughs> is very important to these corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am surprised that they seem to be at least publicly erring on the side of allowing more voters who are not going to want them to pay zero dollars in taxes. Um, What is that calculation like? So I think it might be a negotiation. And I've talked to a lot of different people who cover this, too. And I've talked to a lot of people who work inside some of these C-suites. You know, look, here's what happened. The companies had a 35% tax rate, and all these loopholes and these crazy systems where the, where, where the most important office in any company was the tax office, right, to figure out how to pay the lowest taxes. And Congress just had this terrible, convoluted, awful tax system for corporations, and it wasn't fair, it wasn't right, it needed to be reformed. Uh, Trump comes along and pushes tax reform, and it as we do in Washington, there's the budgeting profit process, the negotiating process, and companies say, we want 25%. And Trump gives them 21%. And they literally were making so much money, these companies, from this lower tax rate that they didn't know what to do with it. Also, all of the tax deductions, all of them were not stripped away. So companies turned around and had all this extra money that they gave back to their shareholders. So it didn't supercharge the economy, like the Trump Mm -hmm. team said. It didn't do any of these other things. In fact, companies wanted 25%. That was what they had been lobbying for and planning for for years. And in true art of the deal, Trump comes in and undercuts it and gives them 21. So I have a feeling that you could see some sort of negotiation on this. Uh, Joe Biden, the President Biden, has said we want a 28% tax rate. Well, maybe 25%, which is what they, these companies have been asking for all along anyway, maybe that's more palatable and you find a way to raise other, other revenues. So I think there's a, this feeling that higher tax rates are coming for companies and there's a lot of negotiating going on behind the scenes of what that number will be. Do you, so I find it one exciting that we're even having these conversations. I know, I'm like, <laughs> ooh, this is, this is different. That, that they're it's in like, a position where hopeful. they need to negotiate. <laughs> That's something new. Negotiate yeah, means it is, there could it is. get something could get done. 
That's amazing. But you know, I, there, I, t- I talked to um, a budget hawk, a, a woman who runs a budget uh, a budget office named um, Maya McGinnis for a piece I did last week, uh, sort of about this, about you know, Crimea River. These companies are saying we can't afford higher interest rates. She said, or higher tax rates. She's like, they absolutely can, and they will. That's the way this looks like. It's um, that it's going here. But you know, this is this is just. A 21% tax rate with all, she said that tax reform in 2017 wasn't reform, it was just tax cuts. It was tax cuts for companies that didn't reform the system, and we still have a lot of work to do, uh, and that companies are aware of that, and that there's a sort of a process underway here, but we'll see how far they can go. We'll see how far they can go. It is one of the rare rifts I've seen between corporate America and this White House. You know, they're happy for the, for the honestly, for the, the, the not having the morning tweets, you know, you know, calling out their business or insulting their CEO or whatever, you know, they're just, they want to get people back to work. They want to get through this pandemic. And I think that they uh, are, are, they understand the higher tax rates are coming. That was a weird. Are they concerned at all? We just lived through. You were just reminding me. Of... It sure was. <laughs> it was. It sure we woke was up and the president time. was insulting <laughs> individual Americans on Twitter. That was a, I, 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 sometimes I yeah. block that out, but that, that, it just reminded well, me story, that that was our lived experience. The story that I'm doing this morning, in about 20 minutes, I'm going to be on CNN's New Day, and the story I'm doing is basically President Trump for months said there would be a Biden depression and there would be a stock market crash if Biden were elected, and I'm just carefully going through the numbers and showing exactly what's happened and how, no, you know, the president who really was President Trump, who was the bragger-in-chief about the stock market, many times I had said, you know, presidents get too much credit and too much blame for what happens in the economy and the stock market. Until the Trump presidency, presidents were very careful not to be talking up stocks. Because the idea then, if it turns, what, you're going to accept the losses? And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, too, right? it's just really been this, this off-limits place. It also looked kind of unseemly to have presidents talking about the Wall Street casino. You know, like, what? what? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you talk about the dollar or the direction of the economy overall or the, or, or the health and the wealth, welfare of the average American family. But the president, the former president, took just real pride in that scorecard of the stock market. And so I will reveal that, much to his chagrin, um, this president, who never talks about the stock market uh has had better gains you know again <laughs> presidents get too much credit and too much yeah. blame but if you're going to go out there and and make it your mantra that the, you are the stock market well let's just see what happened for president trump let's just take a look at what happened when the new guy came in it's been um it's been pretty pretty good for stocks that's so interesting to me because I, okay. I feel like that's that's such an underreported thing so thank you for making that point <laughs> because now that's in my brain because I, I mean i feel like we never talk yep. about um, the strength of the economy, depending upon who's in office. I mean, it's not always, you know, uh, a true and fast, a hard and fast rule, I think is the expression. Right. No, it's true. Um, it's true. And, and sometimes, you know, the policies of the next, pre- the policies of this president aren't felt in the economy until the next exactly. president, you know, so exactly. who gets the credit, and who gets the blame. But I do think that um, it's, it's just was always sacrilege in Washington to take credit for a, a roaring stock market. You just, you just don't. It was just, it was just, just bad manners, you know? And, um, <laughs> and now, I mean, honestly, and, and also it can bite you in the butt if it turns around. Right. So it's just, it's just different how the, the, how, how that, that moment, that four years was just so out of, out of step of protocol. And I will tell you, the Trump supporters I know, they say, yep, we know, we like you strong, we like you, they, that, that's a part of his personality that they always liked. That's 
so weird it's to me. Such okay, a weird... I have a question <laughs> we're about both, we're these both corporations, and <laughs> I, I know, I, I think we're going to spend the rest of our lives being like, man, we lived through that. Can you, do you remember? Can we... <laughs> as long as that stays the, the biggest anomaly, as long as we don't, you know, leave the conditions in place for the next one to come in and be even stranger, you know, then, then we can all look forward to looking back on this time. Um, okay, my question is about corporations and performative allyship. Occasionally, when a corporation, like we saw this happen over and over and over again during the Movement for Black Lives protests of last summer, every time a corporation would stick its head up and say, we support black authors, we support black business, someone would be like, yeah, well, you're publishing a book written by the guy who killed Breonna Taylor, so maybe put your black square down. Are, are corporations worried at, at the people that you talk to in these corporations, are they at all worried about a, a backlash since they're, you know, they haven't exactly been the best actors in our in our democracy, in our great democratic experiment? Um, are they worried at all about a backlash there? I think that they would disagree that they haven't been. That, I mean, they would disagree with that premise in the, that they haven't been good corporate. <laughs> I'm, I'm I sure mean, they they'll. <laughs> I mean, they'll point out to all of that. You know, the, many of these companies give the day off for voting. We can go back to that whole companies. zero dollars thing, right? But <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think that the backlash they're worried about is not from voters, but it's from some of these more activist state legislatures who are trying to raise money and get you know and get and get on the map, quite frankly, you know, the people who think that restricting voting access is actually something that's somehow good for them to get reelected and playing to that base. I think that's, I think they, they're going to have to make sure that these state, these states in which they operate, you know, you don't have these renegade committees in these state legislatures who are trying to take away tax breaks or, you know, where they've built all of these factories and they have really important, you know, relationships in these towns where you have, that's that I think is the, is is the bigger threat. So it seems like they actually have the ability to leverage a little pressure here. Like this feels like it's actually a moment where we might get some reforms because maybe if they do, I think that's the next step. Will they take beyond a big ad where they're on the where they're now they've, right. they've said their intention? Okay, now what? You know, so, all right, so now what? Now what's the next thing you do? Are you pulling, you know, are you talking to the state legislature in Texas and in Georgia and in some of these places, and are you lobbying intensely to, like, say, you, this is not good for our business in your state, and we employ X thousands of people, and, oh, by the way, we give X millions of dollars to all of these different, can- you know, all of these different uh, lawmakers, you know, and so I, I, I need to see what the next step is going to be. It's an important first philosophical marker yeah. now what that's the next part of this story i think well i'm right. eager to see the next right. part because of the this story. actually isn't theory this is practice yeah <laughs> yeah the the other thing too no, is it, we, feels, um, it feels different than other moments um i think because you know the the last election outcome um was unexpected. <laughs> I think some corporate, I mean, pandemic accelerated things, Trump accelerated things, but I think relatedly the election outcome itself at the end of all of that, um, you know, that Georgia went blue. Like that wasn't supposed to happen. Nobody was really talking about Georgia. I mean, Stacey Abrams was talking about Georgia, right. uh, but everybody else was talking about Texas <laughs> and uh, we see what happened. And then Arizona was getting talked about a little bit, but I think the election outcome demonstrated that, you know, the demand, you know, of the American people, number one, for 
something different, just like different leadership that um, was more compassionate and considerate um, of all of these other issues that are going on in our in our society that don't that don't just have to do with, um, you know, our own personal lives. I think a lot of us had a more expansive view on our place Mm -hmm. within all of this. I think a lot of these, a lot of the the business leaders who I talked to were so heartbroken by uh, a year now, the George Floyd yeah. story and the just the unrest and the just the agony of people about around that story. I think, I, I can't think of a, a business leader who wasn't moved by that and knows that that is now the backdrop of American society at the morning that we mm-hmm. that we that this is that this this trial by the way this week is really a referendum on where where we are in policing and equality and and just so many things all wrapped up into one and I think that they are I, I, I do think that is one of the reasons why you had so many companies who were signing on to this sheet like this this you know this ad this missive about voting rights that people have to have a mm-hmm. legitimate way to express their 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 voice in the ballot box because in real life many times it it isn't fair for right. a lot of people it's just not fair right. and to not make it as easy as possible to be able to to exercise that vote and to really as a society push the together you know vote 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 you know that's what we should be right just all in on all of these stories kind of comes like a, it's like a, the spokes of a wheel that come to this hub. And in the beginning, middle of that hub is access to a vote and respect yep. for the vote. It's the American dream. Just Christine Rowans. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it's worth a lot more than that. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. And we will check you out on New Day. This is the new New Day on CNN right. with Brianna That's Keeler. Right. I'm very excited for it. Yep, yeah. yep. So talk to you soon. Have a blast with that and come back soon. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.